the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko completes a message we started here yesterday on the program entitled The New Deal. Now, we hope that you enjoyed the first portion of this broadcast. Remember, you can go to ReachingYourHeart.com at any time and listen to this message in its entirety or download a copy to your personal library. That's ReachingYourHeart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. I'll be back at the close of our broadcast today with some other very important information, so stay with us for just a few seconds afterwards, if you would. Let's get underway. With the conclusion to the New Deal, here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Friend, when you believe you latch on to God's Word like Velcro, you believe whether your feelings make it so or not, and that is what changes a life. It hurts God when we do not accept the truth of costly grace received by faith from a heart of infinite love. It hurts Him. God has a new deal for you and your family. He wants you to be saved. He wants your family to be saved. He wants you to believe that what He did at Calvary's cross is good enough for your acceptance and He is able to get you through to eternity. Hebrews 8, 6, But as it is, and I like the way it starts here in the present tense, as it is. It doesn't say as it was. As it is. Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old covenant, understood, as the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Uh, in this verse, the contrast is made between the new covenant and the old covenant. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is a legal deal or contract that someone makes. When you buy a car, you enter into a covenant because you sign an agreement if you finance that car to pay for it. I do think you pay for your cars, don't you? Okay, so you know what a covenant is. A marriage is a bilateral covenant where two parties agree, they make promises. You can have a covenant where one party makes a promise and it's a unilateral covenant. And that's the kind of covenant that God has made with us. God's promise of grace is not based on how good you are. It's not based on what promises you can make. It's based on what God has done in Christ and would do in Christ based on who He is. It's a unilateral covenant. It comes from Him to us as grace. And God's covenant is His deal, His new deal, that He makes alone with the human race. And if no person would turn to Him in faith, He would have died for the world anyway. That's who God is. It may come as a surprise for you to know that the new covenant is really the oldest covenant of all. The new deal is older than any raw deal you were born with. Because the new covenant is, in fact, the everlasting covenant. Let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians 11.25. We read this verse very often at communion service. It says, In the same way also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the what? How does it read in your Bible? It's the what? The new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Very clear here. Jesus' blood is the blood of what covenant according to that verse? It's the blood of the new covenant. Now let's look at another verse, Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Now this verse tells us a lot. 
When you read the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, we know who He is. David was speaking of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. By the what? By the blood of what covenant? The eternal covenant. Equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in you that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So no missing it here. Here His blood is the blood of the everlasting covenant. And so we've learned that His blood is the blood of the new covenant. This verse says it's the blood of the everlasting covenant. Without getting too technical here, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the new covenant is the everlasting covenant. The blood of Christ ratified God's covenant. So what's new to us is not new to God. What's new to us in Jesus was something ancient and old to Him. It was a promise He made that He kept at the cross of Calvary by the blood of Jesus. In Deuteronomy 4.13, God's covenant is the Ten Commandments. Now you say, Pastor, here you were talking about grace, and now you're moving to law. Right? I'll repeat myself. In Deuteronomy 4.13, God's covenant is the Ten Commandments. Well, look at it. Deuteronomy 4.13, And He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform. That is what? What does it say? The Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tables of stone. You say, wait a second, Pastor. Why are you shifting like this? Because there's a truth that must be understood if we are to grasp the significance of God's new deal. Before the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai, they were in existence. They didn't just suddenly pop into existence at Sinai. They represent a truth that is ancient and old, that is very much so in the mind of God from eternity in the past. The Ten Commandment law of God is a transcript of His holy character of mercy and justice in that order. The universe, in fact, cannot exist without a moral law. The Bible teaches that the moral law of the universe, which has been expressed to Moses and to Israel and for the human race at Sinai as the Ten Commandments is in fact God's name. That if you want to know how to spell God's name, there are ten statements that make God's name come into play. It's called the Ten Commandments. It is the substance of the New Covenant. Now you say, wait a second, I thought the New Covenant did away with the law. The New Covenant, the Holy Ten Commandment law of God is the substance of the New Covenant. The everlasting covenant, which is the new covenant, is God's name. And when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, God's name, which is God's law, He signed the new deal with God's everlasting name, His eternal covenant in blood, signed. The deal was operative. Let me give you a couple of verses that will help to show this relation between God's name and God's eternal covenant. Psalms 111 verse 9. I guess that's another way of saying 111, right? Okay. Verse 9. Now here it says He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant for how long? What does it say? Forever. That means it's an everlasting covenant. Holy and terrible is His... What does it say? Name. So as soon as the Bible speaks of God's eternal covenant, it speaks of His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who practice it his praise endures forever. God's covenant is forever because God's name is forever. And when you come to know God by His name, you become holy because you have come to reverence His law, which is His name. Isaiah 56, verse 6. 
Now here's a chapter which says that the Sabbath day Sabbath was given for the entire human race and a non-believer who becomes a believer outside of Judaism could be brought into the covenant by keeping the Sabbath. But look what it says in verse 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love what? What does it say in the text? To love the name of the Lord and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it. And then it says, who holds fast my... My covenant, now notice here, reverencing God's name is the same thing as holding fast His covenant. He says, these I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for how many people? For all peoples. God's not in the business of pushing people out of a relationship with Him. He is in the business of drawing His dear children from every corner of the world to His heart. So His house is to be for all people. The everlasting covenant of God's grace is in fact God's eternal name, which is His law of mercy and justice. And the integrity of God's name brought Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary. Why? Friend, because Jesus has the name. Christ is the guarantee that God is as good as His name to save you. Christ came to reveal the name of God. Christ came to honor the name of God. In Jesus, the name is revealed in life, a perfect life, and it is revealed in a perfect death of sacrifice to save you. So when we speak of Jesus, we must understand that we are referring to the name. And the new covenant is really about Jesus who came to show us God. Friend, Jesus is God's new deal. Some people say, well, Pastor Mike, you know, aren't you getting a little too Christ-centered here? Yeah, that's right. It's not too Christ-centered. It's right. There has never been a plan B to save us. There's never been a plan B to save you. Christ is the only plan to save you. And religion is not about how much right thinking you have. It's about the one who died so that you could be put right in a relationship with God. So when we speak of Jesus, we're speaking about the substance of the new covenant. God's law, God's name resides in Christ. And so when we see the cross of Calvary, we see infinite justice. We see the moral law Himself dying on the cross because we broke that law. Christ is God's covenant. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul makes this amazing statement. He says, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Friend, God's promise for your future is only possible in Jesus. If you're trying to map out a future for yourself and Christ is not in the mix, you have no future. But if you have Jesus, your future is certain. The covenant is certain for you. Friend, Jesus is the one who came to reveal the law and love of God. He came to keep it. He came to atone for His transgression. And He came because God's law cannot be changed because God cannot change. And what we see at the cross of Calvary is love that cannot change. And by dying on the cross, Jesus has revealed God's name. The cross of Calvary is proof that God is His law. And His law is love. Turn to John 12, 27. Christ is here talking about the journey that will lead Him to the cross. He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, No. For this purpose I have come to this hour, 
Father, glorify thy name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now what he's saying is, I did that at Sinai. That's what he's alluding to. I glorified it. I revealed my law, but I'm going to do it again. At the cross of Calvary, I'm going to show what the law is all about. The crowd standing by heard it and said that it had thundered. That's what happened at Mount Sinai. Well, it happened here too. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Well, that happened at Sinai too. Paul says the law was mediated through angels. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. God spoke at Mount Sinai. Here he speaks. And look what Jesus says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men and women understood to myself. Jesus said this to show by what death he was to die. God's name, God's law vindicated at the cross of Calvary. Friend, the cross of Calvary is the revelation of the deepest principles of who God really is, of his law. Christ came to magnify the law of God, not to do away with it or nail it to a cross. John 17, 6. Jesus says, I have manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of this world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. They have kept thy word. So when you honor God's name, you keep his word. John 17, 11. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to thee. Holy Father. Now look what his prayer is just before he dies. Keep them in thy, thy name, which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And then John 1.12, But to all who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave power to become the children of God. It means who believed in His covenant. Who believed that He is what He says He is. That person can become a child of God. The new deal, which is God's new covenant in Jesus, takes God's eternal name, which is His flawless and eternal law, and it writes it on the human heart that has sinned against Him. And it changes that heart. Grace found a way to change a sinner into a saint. Sometimes well-meaning Christians say that the law of God was done away with in the New Covenant. If the law of God was done away with, then you cannot change. You cannot become like God because that law is a transcript of who God is. That kind of theology is foreign to the Bible. The exact opposite is true here. The new covenant takes God's name, which is His law, which is His character, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is written on the heart that had rebelled, and a softened, broken heart becomes one that can obey. Hebrews 8, verse 8, For He finds fault with them, the people, when He says, The days will come, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I paid no heed to them, says the Lord. Verse 10, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And notice he's shifting from what you can do to what he is doing. We have I words here. I will make. I will put. I will be. He says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Friend, God found a way in Jesus to take His perfect law and put it into the heart of men and women who have sinned against Him and changed the heart. You know, what good is religion if we don't change? Can I ask that question? What good is it to come to church if you don't change deep down inside? 
If you don't learn to love someone you wouldn't naturally care about. If your life doesn't shift from self-centered existence to selfless ministry, what good is it? Friend, we must change for religion to be relevant. God found a way in Jesus to take His perfect law and change men and women. How? God found a way to draw the sinner to Him and to save a person by grace so they would have an attitude change that changes the life. So what, in fact, changes the life? It's not religion. It's not rules. And I believe in good standards in the church because the Bible teaches us so. It's grace. Hebrews 8, 11. And they shall not teach everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. And here's the key, verse 12. For I will be... How does the text read? I want to hear it loudly. Merciful. That's a good word. Toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. I mean, that's dramatic. That ought to make you get up and down and just praise God. That God looks upon your flawed life and my flawed life and He says it is my choice by divine election, by grace, to be merciful toward your iniquities and to pardon them and to put them so far away from me that I can't remember them anymore. The God of the universe knows everything about you. Yes, He does. Yes, that's scary, isn't it? And yet here He makes the promise that through the new deal, the blood of Christ... That His mercy is so great that He will forget your sins forever. Hallelujah. Now, I'm not the kind that says that a lot, but I want to for this. Praise God. That meets me where I need to grow. It meets me in my need for life and grace. Maybe it meets you where you need to be too. In Jesus, God has forgiven you. That's amazing New Testament teaching. In Jesus, I didn't say outside of Jesus, in Jesus, grace has found a way to look beyond what you have done to what you can be. In Jesus, God's name is more than a thou shalt not. In Jesus, God's name means I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of bondage. People who really believe, I mean really believe, and they believe enough to get on their knees and ask God for forgiveness. They have been forgiven. And they are the kind of people who can forgive others. That's the kind of person who keeps the law. That's the kind of person I want to be. And more and more every day. If you're an unforgiving man or woman, then you can bank on the fact that you have not yet fully come to grips with God's forgiveness in Jesus for you. Did you hear me? That's the test. If you can't forgive others, you hold this rod over their head then you really haven't come to grips with God's forgiveness for you. Now, it's possible to struggle with this. I'm not diminishing that. But if your prayer is something like this, Lord, I have a hard time forgiving this person, but I know the truth. Christ forgave me, so help me with that. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for an attitude of grace in the life that has received grace. Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive, together with Jesus understood, having forgiven us, what does it say in the text there? All our trespasses. I mean, let's face it. Our trespasses are bad. There are some that are worse than others. He has forgiven them all. Having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside and nailed to the cross. He didn't nail the law of the cross. He nailed the indictment to the cross. Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Friend, in Jesus at the cross, God was kind to you. God was kind to you. God knew everything about you. He knew everything you've ever done. He knew that secret sin that haunts you. God was kind to you. He forgave you in Jesus. He knew the pain that you bear that pricks from time to time. He knew every moral offense and every fault of character. Every disappointment in your life in which you feel your failure to advance as you should. He felt that. He forgave it. But in Jesus, God was kind enough to you to be also tender-hearted. It wasn't just an action. It was an attitude. What does that mean? It means that God had affection for you. He pitied you. He yearned for you to live. Friend, God loves you. And that's what His name means. The law of God is at its core reality a selfless law of love for others. The cross is the demonstration of it. And His feelings go out for you because He's merciful. And how do we know this? Because in Jesus, the Bible is clear, God forgave all your sins. And that's why Christ said it is finished at the cross of Calvary. There was nothing to prevent you from coming home to God in the mind of God because between Him and Christ, He lived out every single thing you have ever done. It was atoned for and God put it behind Him. And so He wants you to be reconciled to Him and to receive what He has, a blood-bought pardon. With the blood of Jesus, God signed the emancipation papers of the human race so we could come home to God. Friend, at the cross, a transaction occurred that was within God Himself. He took everything that is bad in you and He put it all in Jesus on that cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Christ lived out your entire lifetime inside His head as you and he suffered for it all as if he were you, because he was. You and the Savior became one in the agony of the cross. He gave his life for your death, that you might receive his life. Isaiah said, God has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and with his stripes we are healed. There are no superstars in the Christian church. It may come as a surprise to some. Just sinners saved by grace who don't want to sin anymore. Why? Because they look to that cross and they know that grace is costly grace. And they know that the pardon that they have costs God everything that He has. And they know that if they continue in sin, they show that that really doesn't matter. And so they pray and they strive. They yearn to know God and to grow because love has found a way to change a sinner's heart to where it wants to obey. And the Holy Spirit is the gift that leads you into that perfect day where your life will one day be like His in every way. Because God came so far to reach us, it's sometimes unbelievable that this is the truth, but it is. God has given us costly grace. If you live a hundred lifetimes and you never live the life of grace, you really never live. I want to end with a statement from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 8, reading down to verse 10. You can open your Bibles with me if you like. might be good to mark this one. 
Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is what? What does the text say? It's the gift of God. You know, Merry Christmas early. God's gift for you is grace. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance, that we should walk in them. Dear Heavenly Father, it's very possible that standing in this place is someone who has a hard time believing because of what life has handed them, that God has grace. Oh, Father, for that heart, for that silent soul that suffers in this place, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, may they look to the one who suffered before they ever knew it. May they look to the one who lived out their life in his own mind and heart, who found them at Calvary's cross, who loved them more than anything that assaults them here, and who is the only way out of here. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Not just the New Deal. Jesus, who is the New Deal. That in the gift of Christ, you've given us yourself. And that we have you. And Lord, I just pray that everyone here who needs you, which is everyone, will be sustained by you, will cling to you, will surrender to you, and will live a life of selfless service for the one who gave himself for them. In Jesus' name, amen. That will conclude the New Deal. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. That's reachingyourheart.com. Please stop by the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. The new address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That again is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. We hope to see you there. For Pastor Mike and everyone here also, please know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.